getting through. The Farmstrong Podcast, recovering from extreme weather events, powered by the country. Well, hello and welcome into Getting Through, our brand new series in association with Farmstrong, looking at what it takes to recover from extreme weather events. My name's Rowena Duncan, Executive Producer of The Country, and it's my pleasure to bring you this series. Now, last week I was chatting with Krista Franklin, Kumara grower up in Northland there. She and her husband, James, lost uh, 84% of their crop. They only managed to harvest about 16% after Cyclone Gabriel came through and wiped out their kumara. Today we're going to be on the other side of the fence. We're going to be chatting to someone who was helping farmers. Her name is Sarah Donaldson. She's the area coordinator for the Wided Upper Rural Support Trust and a clinical psychologist. Hello, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Now, I want to take you back a year ago. Obviously, Cyclone Hail followed by Cyclone Gabriel quite extreme weather events for your part of the country. It's been a hell of a 12 months. What was it like at the beginning for you? Yeah, it has been a a full-on year. Um, Yeah, obviously hail came fairly soon into the piece and our area, our coastal area, some of that that got hit pretty heavily. So we'd been involved responding to that and getting volunteer groups out to to help um, on the on-farm recovery. And then, and then we heard this other cyclone was coming, and um, yeah, we didn't we didn't expect it to hit us very hard down here. We knew it was going to hit hard further north and east, but then yeah, it was a, a bit of a bolt from from the blue for uh, particularly our Tanui community where it just dumped down there um, and, and caused havoc. So yeah, we were we were actually a little bit surprised, and um, yeah, the, a couple of days after it happened, when we were able to get out, I I realised the enormity of it. Because we'd had hail and then looked and went, oh hell, this is this is next level again um, from what we've already had. So yeah, yeah, it was it was sort of bang bang really. How do people cope when they're faced with adversity so soon after each other? They're barely picking themselves up from one event and another one, an even bigger one comes along. Yeah, I think initially a lot, you know, a lot of shock for people really, just getting their heads around because it had been. That, that expected, we, we, we'd come on the back of a really, really wet winter, so everyone's been used to the rain, used to the impact of that kind of thing. But I just, I, I think, yeah, a lot of initial shock because no one expected it to be um, for the floodwaters to come as high as what they as what they did, um, and and then kind of grappling really with um, how much how much damage had kind of rolled out really. So yeah, initial kind of. Um, Shock and also sometimes, you know, like we, I mean, we had devastation here, but we were very aware of the other areas that had had um, worse impacts than us, such as Hawke's Bay. So, you know, a lot of our people were very mindful of not wanting to um, put their own hand up when they, you know, when they knew that lives had been lost in other areas and things like that. So, um, yeah, we had that, that, had that perspective, I suppose, as well. So, what are some of the stages that people go through, Sarah, when they're faced with a traumatic event? Yeah, well, they sort of they sort of have a model of recovery, really, where it's sort of like a U shape, I guess, where where there's an initial kind of shock and and and, and denial and, and and quite a heightened state, I guess. Like so, because we've had a, a threat come at us, if you like, you know, an unexpected threat then our body and our brain go into quite a heightened response. And we, we certainly saw this um, 
soon after in, in, in our community and even in our own team, you know, because you just you, you've got so much going on that your your body goes into a, in a into a heightened state in order to to get on and get things get things done. So in some ways that kind of moves on to you know a, a state of energy and and people getting stuck in and doing things and rallying round and and there's there's almost kind of sometimes it almost gets. So I don't want to call it, but sometimes they call it the kind of honeymoon period. But, you know, because there's a shared survival kind of thing that's there and, and our community comes out to that, which is awesome, um, then there's also sort of the, the connectedness that goes on in that way, which is the good side. But then as time come, ticks on, you know, there's there's a whole range of emotions that go on for people, depending on the circumstances, you know. So as they battle through the layers that they have to encounter with, them, you know, finances and insurance and recovery and staffing and housing and just, you know, the list just goes on and on, I guess you get more disappointment, anger, frustration, fatigue's a biggie, um, particularly, you know, um, quite a while afterwards. We're really aware of that at the end of last year, just that, People are just trucking on and trucking on, and you know fatigue starts to really take its take its toll. So, you know, often from an uh, from an emotional point of view, you know, you're one to three years of that longer term before impacts before people start to sort of, you know, often reconcile, rebuild, um, and, and are continuing to adapt over time. And that kind of ties in with our, I mean, our area, for instance, you know, the, the worst effect there is at least three years plus for the on-farm and infrastructure recovery that kind of um, ties in with particularly those people who've had more loss, you know, if they've lost houses and things. It's, it's, a, it's a long-term project, if you like. Yeah. That must be really hard to kind of find the energy because, as you say, you get the burst of it at the beginning when you can almost be running around a bit like a headless chicken. But as you start to, I guess, really have a heightened awareness of this the extent of the recovery that time frame of the of the recovery it could almost seem quite daunting as to know where to start and to know that you know it's going to be a long time before things are back to not even normal but you know a semblance of normal yeah yeah that's right and it's look it's very variable I, I think we have to be really careful that we don't kind of say look this is a this is a given that it becomes you know a real long-term doom and gloom for people because there's a real array of how people are adapting and um, and getting through this and, and, and doing amazingly well considering. And, you know, our stats kind of tell us that 80% of people will actually be okay after some kind of disaster. They'll have some initial distress, but if their basic needs are met, if they know everybody's safe, um, they'll generally go on to be okay and adapt over time. 20% or so, you know, may have some more enduring distress and may need some, you know, need some extra help, um, particularly if you know if there's been trauma in the mix. All these circumstances are, are extra, are extra stressful, you know, and, and they need support on a more intensive or ongoing basis. But um, I think you know, instilling a, a sense of hope for people and uh, helping people to feel empowered about what is still in their control is really, really important. As is kind of chunking, you know, because it's like it's, it can be really overwhelming for people, especially a little bit down track, and went, oh my goodness, this, we've still got such a long way to go. So I think, 
you know, I use the term often park and prioritise. We can't deal with everything at once, and if we think about it all at once, it just has the potential to overwhelm us. So if we can chunk things into stages and phases to kind of go, okay, now what next? What do I? How can I focus my energy now for this next phase? And then I'll come back and review and work out what we need to focus on next, rather than trying to do go down lots of rabbit rabbit warrens, if you like. Or, <laughs> the headless <laughs> you know, because chicken that's what phase. Happens when we get overwhelmed, you know, like it yeah. takes us down. What about this? And I've got to do this. And so yeah. we just need to reel it back in and, and and put ourselves back in control again and have a plan and try and chunk it into next steps, next phases. So I imagine that, uh, you know, celebrating the small wins is really important here. Like, hey, look at that oh, fence. Yeah. Last week that was on the ground. Now it's standing up. We can contain some stock or little things like that. Celebrating the small wins must have been so important to people. Oh, look, it has. It has. And um, I think you make a really, really good point. And it's often one I'll talk about with people when they're still looking at the to-do list um, is actually saying, right, you need to, you need to stop, pause, and actually write down or talk about all the things that you have achieved um, because there'll be a huge list already of what we have kind of got to or what they've managed to get over the line. Um, and, and you need to kind of go, gosh, OK, we have done that because it's really easy to kind of just keep looking ahead at what's still to come. So absolutely you want to celebrate what you have achieved and, and the kind of um, the wins. And, and, you know, look, um, I think one of the things our community has said is they felt really supported by our wider community, um, and that was a massive protective factor. And, and some of them have said, actually, our community is closer and stronger than it's been before. Now, we don't want to have to have a cyclone to have that happen, but we, we do have to go, well, actually, there are, there are some things that come out of... Bad things happen, but sometimes some good does come from them, and we, and we want to acknowledge that, um, and that is, that is definitely one of them. People, uh, as you say, the community rally any time there's an event like this. We see rural New Zealand at its absolute best. People want to help, but sometimes it's not easy to ask for help or it's not easy to accept help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got uh, independent, stoic, self-reliant people that operate our rural communities and that holds them in really good stead. But sometimes, like after these events, there's just there's, there's just the reality is there's more than they can manage on their own, um, and and people do want to help. And so, like early on, we had a community meeting. I think it was day five with our our, our Tanui community. Had a great turnout, and and we stood up there and we said to them, we know that this is going to be tough to suck up getting asking or getting help from other people, but we said, look, what goes around comes around. So. Um, I made a promise to them and said, right, you know, um, people will be prepared to help and, and, and come to the party and don't worry because, unfortunately, sometime down track, another one of our districts is going to be um, hit in some way with some adversity and don't worry, I'll come knocking on your door <laughs> to, get, to get you to help. And I think, you know, we were trying to just make that a little bit more digestible for people yeah. to say, oh, okay, okay. If I feel like, you know, then, then maybe it's it's kind of okay to do that. Um, yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Knowing that, you know, you're going to have a chance to even the ledger, as awful as that sounds, I think is sometimes makes it a lot easier in people's heads to know, yep, if I can take help here, I can give it uh, later but on. In some capacity. Yeah. yeah. 
absolutely. Uh, and even though, uh, you know, people coming on farm and helping or going to other farms and helping, it's still that sense of connection because that is so important, isn't it? After an adverse event, staying connected with your community, not retreating into a reclusive state. Yeah, absolutely. Num- num- I put it up there, number one, um, yep. as, you know, like we know the two things following an adverse event, the two things that will help people the most is um, helping them to stay connected and be connected to the right channels and solving their everyday problems of living. So, um, you know, those two things or those two factors, I guess, influenced our, our RST response here locally to to the event. And so it was very much about trying to connect people to themselves, like to their own community, their own their own networks, and then also out to, to wider support as well. And so, yeah, we're definitely wanting to prevent that sense of isolation and just knowing that you're not in it alone and that um, people are going through the same things and people have got each other's backs is, is absolutely massive. And, you know, we know that it, it's one of the five ways to well-being and, um, you know, the five proven ways that keep us mentally well. And you know, connection's been proven to be the, the biggest protective factor. So absolutely, you know, that's um, that's what we, we you know, give that message and we certainly encourage that in, in the way that we intervene as well. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, also how important, and I know sometimes it feels like this is going to add to the stress and be counterproductive because there's so much to do on farm, but how important is it to get off farm to get away from the stress and have a bit of a break. Oh, my favourite topic. <laughs> <laughs> Even before we had cyclones, I spend so much time sitting around the table with farmers and growers having that conversation and trying to trying to help them understand how the body and the brain work efficiently and effectively. I guess over time. Um, and you know, I often compare it to sports performance when that when when it when they're sort of finding it hard that it's like, well, but I, I haven't got time to take, you know, I can't take time off, I can't ever break this too much to do, but like oh, helping them to understand, you know, it's like sports performance, and if you want to keep performing well and keep kind of trucking on with, the, you know, this recovery is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And so we've actually got to be clever and work smarter, not necessarily harder, but, um, so having regular recovery just like the top athletes do is going to maintain that and also you just need some respite from looking at, to be honest you know, for some people, you look out your kitchen window and you're looking at slips and you're looking at, at fences that still need repairing so that's quite triggering um, and so you might be coming in from physically working and then mentally you're still kind of in that space so when you can get off farm and have some have some recovery time particularly for connecting and things that it, it, it really really helps I mean there's a psychologist in, in Australia who specializes in this area and, and he says that you know in these kind of circumstances the antidote to stress is leisure and pleasure so it's pretty simple but it's just trying to get that message across that little sometimes even the little breaks make a difference so we, we've we've tried really hard with that um, to get those messages out and, and in a practical level. So we we have brought up a whole host of vouchers for one-night accommodation vouchers off-farm so that we can just deliver them to people to, to to put a little carrot there to make it happen, especially when we know finances are tight. Um, and, and, we've, and we've kind of tried to create events that encourage people to 
to come and connect, but also just to have that breakaway. So a, a really great example of that is we, we organised a, um, a guys' mystery bus trip for our worst affected areas, and um, this was about July. So we had not had virtually any sun, and then the, of course the day we organised it, it was a sunny day, so <laughs> some chose to stay and work, and others said to us afterwards, oh, I nearly did that, but then I thought, no, I'm gonna, I've am gonna, i committed to this, I'm going to come and do it, and and so the feedback from them afterwards was, hey, um, I just, that, that made such a difference. I felt so much better for coming and hanging out with everybody and having some fun and letting my hair down and doing, um, you know, having a great day out that actually it's the best way I could have spent my time. I'm, I, I feel like I've, I'm going to go back recharged. And we even had family members who said, my goodness, they came back with a smile or I came back and they'd been quite ho-hum, but actually now I've seen they've sort of got a bit of a lift in their step. It was one day, you know, but it was an amazing day, and we, we had some other farmers that came with their jet boats and turned up for them, and so, you know, we actually, that day was an example of, we, we managed to knock off all five ways of, of well-being on yeah. there, but those other farmers turning up with their jet boats to give our other guys a cool experience was was incredibly humbling, but um, like really that sense of support from the community that our guys got was just amazing. And, and the guys who did their jet boats equally got in a massive boost from from doing that for them. Because yeah. we know that when you give back, you get a neurological shift in your brain, a feel-good factor. So it's a very win-win situation. Oh, absolutely. And I love what you said about dropping vouchers off for just a night away. A one night off farm sometimes I think can be a little less stressful than a longer yes. period away because you're like, that's achievable, actually. Nothing's going to fall apart if I have just one night away. I can do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was our thinking. We thought if we do further, it might not happen, but if it's actually in the closest town... Um, you know, they can combine it with something and it's doable, yeah. Yeah, just a night off cooking, a night off dishes, a night off cleaning (laughs) and making the bed. How fantastic. Uh, Sarah, anything else, any advice you'd like to pass out there to not only people who have been affected, but for people who have had friends affected as well and the best way to support them? I guess it's just, um, this is an ongoing journey. Please don't forget that um, whilst some people have made, you know, life, they've adapted and life moves on, for other people they're still in this journey. So, um, yeah, don't assume that, that that's gone away and just stay stay connected, stay reaching out to to those people that you know, those communities that you know have been impacted. Um, what we don't want to do is feel like people have, have forgotten and walked away. We want people to know that there are there are people that are still going to be around communities that are going to keep supporting each other um, over this longer term recovery, and, and and we'll get there together. You know, like it's unfortunately, dare I say it, but you know, we've if you look at history, we've had horrible disasters before, and um, you know, we'll get there. Absolutely. Sarah Donaldson, uh, coordinator for the Widened Upper Rural Support Trust, uh, clinical psychologist. Thank you so much for your time as part of this episode of Getting Through. I think your insight is really important into how we can support others, uh, support our own families and support ourselves going through extreme weather events. Really appreciate your time. No problem at all. Nice to talk to you. Getting Through, the Farmstrong Podcast. Recovering from extreme weather events. Powered by the country.